And uh, we're going to be talking about the armor of God for the next number of weeks. Um, and uh, so I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. That's the place where we're starting. And um, so this morning, as we're starting, though, I'd like to introduce the subject by taking you back to your high school days. Do you remember what was the worst part of high school? Everything. I, I heard, see, there's some young people over here. I had to talk to these young people because I need some answers. I found one, a lot of people think one of the worst things, like there's lots of things bad about high school. But one of the things is exams. And uh, so there's five, I, I found basically there's five different types of exams. I haven't been in school for a long time. But I think exams have not changed. You know, there's the essay exam. There's the uh, the matching exam, the fill-in-the-blank, the true or false, the multiple choice. So I'm going to ask you guys, what is the worst kind of exam? Essay. Yeah, essay. What's the second worst exam? Fill-in-the-blank. I agree. I actually find fill-in-the-blank is worse than the essay because you have to have the exact right answer and there's no clues. You know, and, and, and oh, they drive me crazy because they're, they're so hard sometimes. You know, they want like a person's name or the year that he did something or, and it's like there's no real good clues. But at least with, you know, multiple choice or with true and false, you got some clues that you got to work with. So what's the easiest type? True or false, multiple, some toss up there. Yeah. But in some ways, you know, true or false is kind of the best, right? Because you've got a 50-50 chance, right? So at least if your head works half these, you know, even if you're completely off, at least you get 50%, hopefully, unless you're completely missed what the teacher is talking about. So, yeah, true or false is kind of like the easiest exam. Wouldn't it be great if life were just a true or false uh, uh, examination and we could just go through life just go, you know, true or false? Well... Come to think of it, life kind of is like a true or false examination. And in particular, life is kind of a true or false examination about the person of Jesus Christ. Is he truth? Or is he false? Did he really live? Or is it just a myth? Did what he say really, is it really in the Bible? Or is it just Stories that have been passed on and on and on and it's not really completely true. Is Jesus Christ the truth as He said He was or not? In some ways, our, our uh, life task, as it were, is much the same as Pontius Pilate's task was that we find in the Bible. I mean, he had to decide what was true about Jesus Christ. I mean, you know the story. It started, you know, back in, in the first century, April, probably some April morning. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And, uh, you know, Pontius Pilate is, is the judge. And uh, he has to decide whether this man standing before him is who he claims he is. I mean, he claimed a lot of things, right? He claimed to be the king of the Jews. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. In fact, he claimed to be God himself. And Pontius Pilate is there. He's the curator. Curator. That's not something that makes applesauce. That's, you know, a Roman governor. 
I might have said the word wrong. But anyways, <laughs> pure correct. Oh, forget it. I'm not even going to try. Uh, but was Pilate up to the task? What does he say? He says these three little words that he's known for worldwide. What are they? What is truth? What is truth? Here's the guy that's supposed to be the judge saying, oh, what is truth? And Francis Bacon aside, I don't think he was jesting. I don't think it was a joke. I don't think he was Can you imagine jesting to someone who just looked you in the eye and said, to this end I was born. For this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. That's not a laughing matter. Pilate may have been sophisticated, sure. Skeptical, undoubtedly. But joking mood? I don't think so. He honestly couldn't answer life's true and false quiz. Instead of trying to answer the quiz, he just said, oh, what's the difference? What's, tr- what's truth? Can we really know truth? He just kind of tossed the question aside. And you know what, folks? If life is a true or, true or false questionnaire, a lot of society has thrown out the questionnaire. And they just haven't bothered to look at the exam. They just don't have time for the exam. They're just ignoring it. <clears throat> the unfortunate part about the true or false exam that we're all taking is that it's not a it's not a 50-50 thing. The Bible is very clear. Jesus Jesus said, you know, enter through the narrow gate because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Most people are going to fail life's exam. On this point, they're not going to understand the truth about Jesus Christ. And that's a horror. And you know, I'm with Teresa. I don't I don't particularly like sharing the gospel. I never have. But God has put it as a burning passion in my heart because I know that if people fail the life's exam, the true or false test, they are eternally damned. And to me that that just makes me totally more uncomfortable than sharing my faith with someone. It freaks me out. My responsibility makes me completely uncomfortable. My job, sharing my faith, makes me uncomfortable. I'm, you know, people think that, oh, you're a pastor, so you're an extrovert. No, I'm not. I'm an introvert, okay? <laughs> if you haven't figured it out now, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something wrong. I'm basically, I'm not an extreme introvert, but I'm slightly introverted, and I particularly, um, you know, don't like being in uncomfortable confrontational situations. I just don't like it. I generally like to appease people. I'm the nice guy. You know, that's sort of my general temperament. So sometimes when you get into the subject of who is Jesus Christ, it gets personal. It gets intense. And God calls us to be that person that shares about Christ anyways. And so let's, let's be that. So... Remember, you guys in school, what do the teachers do with true and false exams? 
What do they try to do? They try to trick you. Yeah, I heard somebody say trick. <laughs> yeah, they try to trick you, right? They write things that seem like they're true, but actually they're false. And they write things that seem like they're false, but they're actually true. They do it all the time. I and mean, that's the whole point of these crazy true or false things, it seems. And you know what? The devil is a deceiver. And so with this particular question of life, true or false, about Jesus Christ, is he the true Messiah? Is he the king of the world? Is he the, the ruler of the world? Did he truly die for our salvation? This true or false question, the devil is out to change your mind. It's, he's out to change everyone's mind and, and make them write false. That's kind of what he sees his job is, right? He's called a deceiver. I wish I could re- review the whole sermon that I gave in the middle of, of uh, September. But of course, I can't review the whole thing because that would be... Well, another whole sermon. Uh, but let me just go through some of the bits of it. And really, it's, it was about um, this first verse in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I love that. We find our strength. You know, even for witnessing, our strength is in the Lord. The truth is in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you might take your stand, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Do you remember the story I told about Desmond Doss? And how he, as a medic, took his stand and rescued like 75 men from Hacksaw Ridge and brought them to safety? Amazing. What happens when someone has the courage to take their stand? And this is what God is calling us to do. To take our stand and stand for the truth. The Bible says, be so alert and so of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. We're called to be vigilant, to, be, to take our stand against this, the devil's schemes. Remember, we talked about the fact that God has a wonderful plan for your life. He loves you. We also mentioned the devil hates you and wants to destroy your life. Huh. What a, what a pleasant thought, eh? The devil hates you and he wants to destroy your life. And one of the ways that he has been trying to do that, particularly in the last century or two, is destroying truth itself. Attacking truth so that we have a trouble nailing it down. And so the first piece of armor that Paul says to take up to fight the devil is the belt of truth. And he says, you got to put this belt of truth on because it's sort of like the foundational thing. You know, they say that when the, the Roman uh, centurions and, and I don't know what they call the Roman soldiers, that's what they're called, soldiers. <laughs> you know, the first thing that they would put on is the belt because the belt would hold up everything else. It was, it was an intricate part 
of the armor that they were to put on, and the belt held it all together. And so it was, and, and you, you hung your sword on your belt, you, your breastplate tucked into the belt, and so it was a vital part. And you know what? The truth is a vital part of the Christian's armor in order to stand up to face the devil. Our scripture verse today is, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. <clears throat> the righteousness, the salvation, the gospel, the word of God, all of these things depend on truth. Without truth, you don't have these other things. Uh, Christianity, as in, in its core, is an empirical belief system. It believes in things that you can feel, touch, taste, uh, hold, believe in. These are things that sometimes people think, oh, Christianity is pie in the sky and, the, you know, it's, no, it's not. It's about reality. It's about truth. History, morality, all these things, science, all fit in to Christianity. You know, I, I find it dreadful. I, I, I've watched a few of these documentaries, and one of them was trying to prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And the, and the, the author said, well, you know, it doesn't really matter for Christians whether Christ rises from the dead or not. You know, you, you can believe that he rose spiritually and he's in your heart spiritually. And I'm like, dude, you're missing the point. You know, we are for truth. It's either true or it's not true. And don't give me this, oh, it's okay. It, 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 you know, it doesn't actually happen to have happened in reality. Don't give me that. You know, I, I'll sign up to be an atheist right away if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Forget it. I, you know, I'm done then. If you could prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and you can't, sorry, but if you could, I'd have to sign up. I'd say, okay, well, that's it. We follow truth. We don't follow a cleverly designed schemes of men, the Apostle Paul says. We, follow, we believe in truth. Christians aren't against scientific method. Sometimes you get this weird idea that you know, science and, and Christianity are loggerheads. Do you know that Christians developed the scientific method? You know, it's not the other way around. We believe in truth, so we came up with these things. We believe that God created a, 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 an ordered universe. Why do you think science developed so quickly in the Western world? Because the Western world was Christian. And the Western world realized that God, with his authority, designed things and the laws of nature. Were, he set them in place. And so the Western world developed much faster than other areas, which had uh, places like uh, like China, which had a much more advanced culture than the West at first. But when Christianity took hold in the West, Christian, the, the people were able, by God's grace, to develop quicker. And so, uh, sorry, sorry if you're from China, I didn't mean to slander you or something. But <laughs> it just dawned on me, what am I saying? <laughs> Anyways, you understand what I mean. Um, and the fact of the matter is that all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. That's what John Calvin says. It was just as true back then as it is today. All disciplines, not just theology or soteriology or eschatology, sure, those are part of the Christian truth, but medicine and psychology and sociology and, and science, these are all God's truth as well. 
they're either true or they're false. Now, there's lots of falseness in all these fields, sure, absolutely. But if it's actually true, then it's God's truth. Because God is truth, right? God is truth. Now, the great question asked in our times is this question. Right on the cover of Times, it's been asked a few times. There are actually two questions there. <laughs> Funny thing is, is they're related. They're related to one another. Is God dead? If someone's saying no. <laughs> is God dead? No. Is truth dead? No. No, truth is not dead. But we've seen some great changes to the way truth is is viewed. And ever since the, you know, I find it and amusing that it's called the Enlightenment. <laughs> and sometimes the simplest person can see through the Enlightenment and realize it's not very enlightened. And I've done a lot of study in university on Saltaire and Nietzsche and, and all of these guys who were philosophers of the end of the, the 19th century into the 20th century, did a lot of work, but, but they laid the foundation for what we're reaping today. And they were the ones uh, who really started this loss of clearly understanding what truth really is. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, they started the thoughts, society took it and ran with it and then changed it in the process. And now we have something completely different than what those thinkers were thinking back. I'm going to have to explain this, aren't I? I, I basically, it starts with mankind being hell-bent on removing God from the picture. That's really what mankind has been doing. And it's been trying to do that uh, ever since Adam and Eve, I really think. Um, and we end up with a loss of meaning in life. And, and this loss of meaning became the underpinnings of the modern realm, modern philosophical realm. And so um, when you t take Soltaire, for, for example. He, he did this famous play uh, called No Exit. Basically, he put two, two women and a man in this room, and the room is shut off from the outside world. The outside world is, is carrying on, but they're shut off. And, at, and the play basically shows them slowly uh, disintegrating with one another and moving to their corners without love, without thought, without purpose in life, and there's no exit. And Salter was basically saying that because he didn't, doesn't believe in God, therefore it's clear that we don't have clear answers for who we are why we're here, what our future is about, anything. There's no purpose anymore. And Nietzsche took it a step further. And he said, if, the, if this is true, if what Salter is talking about is true, if there is no God and therefore there's no purpose, if there's no purpose, then there's absolute meaninglessness. And if it's absolutely meaningless, there is no greater thing then nothing. Just kill yourself because it doesn't matter. That's what his conclusion was. It doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous. Uh, joy and pleasure has nothing to offer. 
because there's no future. There's, it's, it's horrid. And you know what? what? Existentialism, where it goes, it, people think that, oh, the existentialist thought pattern is absolutely new. It, it, it started, uh, you know, 150 years ago, and it's devastating, and it's awful, and it's, it's not new at all. You ever read, read the book of Ecclesiastes? It's an existentialist book. It just says it's meaningless. You take God out of the picture, you got nothing. <laughs> the existentialist philosophy has been around for two, uh, two, two and a half, three thousand years. A little more than three thousand years. And yet we think it's some new revolution. Like, wow, you know, this is amazing the way they, they put together this thought pattern. It's not new at all. There's didn't the philosophers say there's nothing new under the sun? Yeah. But at least these philosophers were consistent. But what we have today comes from their philosophies and has become completely inconsistent. You see, while mankind is hell-bent on removing God from the picture, they don't want to remove purpose. They don't want to remove love. They don't want to remove a sense of ethics. They want all that stuff. And even though the philosophers say that you can't have it both ways, society has decided, yes, we can. We can become our own gods. We can make ourselves in our own image and do whatever we want. And even though it's a discord with reality, they don't care. And our world doesn't care. And so what happens has happened is that truth itself has been redefined so that truth doesn't matter anymore. And so that the world today can say, you know what, this discord between what I believe about reality and what that means for my life, the fact that, that my life is completely meaningless, I just, I just don't, I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to buy into that. And so I'm going to just create my own reality, right? And that's what we're left with today. And we have relativism, where everyone decides what is right in their own mind, and that's fine for you. And I have my own truth. And you have your truth. And everybody has their own truth. And you can see how this has developed over the last few centuries. And so what we have today is a loss of focus on truth. People basically don't care about truth. You ask them, have, have you passed the, you know, the, the quiz on life, you know, whether Jesus Christ is true and false? And they're like, what does that have to do with me? You know, my son just went to York University. Huge culture shock for him, you know? He's used to Christians and the way we think and do and everything. And so, you know, he, he, he tells his, his roommate by, you know, whatever communication they use these days, you know, certainly not talking. Uh, but, but, but he tells him that, you know, you're free to use my fridge. And then I get a phone call the day after he meets his roommate, and he goes, oh, what do I do, Dad? My, my roommate just put a, a Mickey of vodka in my fridge. You know? And I'm like, well, what did you expect? You know? They're not going to have the same morality. And then a few days later, he started calling me, and he's saying, Dad, what do I do? My roommate's rolling a, a joint in the room. You know? And I said to him, well, what did you expect? 
as you go to these places. And he's like in, in, in culture shock. Because he's freaking out. Like, what if I get caught with, you know, there's marijuana in my room, you know. And this kind of stuff. And it's a culture shock because his friends, the people that he's going to college with, have not taken any time to consider the great questions in life. And Jason, my son, is all about the great questions in life. He wants to know truth. He's digging into it all the time. He's frustrated by it. He's concerned about it. He wants to know truth. Where did he get that from? Well, he got that from a Christian understanding that truth is all important. But he's with a whole bunch of people that just ignore truth. They're not, they're not concerned about the big question of life. It's never crossed their mind. Or if it has, they've pushed it away because if they get into philosophy, they start realizing that the philosophical answers of today are non-answers. They don't give you anything. They're bankrupt. And so today's society doesn't know what to do with that, so they've just rejected philosophy and rejected truth and just ignore it, basically. And then there's this other thing that, that our world today has done in that they have rejected the universality of truth. And I've already kind of mentioned that, relativism. Um, but a lot of times we see people saying, you know, I, I want to become a spiritual person or I want to have this, this experience or, or, you know, as the Mormons say, I have this bur burning in my bosom. And, and people are accepting this ex spiritual experience without any questioning about whether it's real, whether it's truth truthful, whether it's right or wrong. And they're just looking for an experience without considering truth. Uh, so we have a relativism of Tillich and, and Boltman. And Boltman really started this whole concept that uh, the, the, the faith story of the Bible, it, it could be, you know, wh whether it's true or not doesn't really matter. It's, it's the spiritual experience of it. And I'm like, Boltman, come on. You know, if it's not true, I don't want it. And so we have the liberal church of today falling into this trap of saying, you know, the concepts are good. They might not be true, but the concepts are good. And I'm like, I would much rather be an atheist than a liberal theologian. I can't be a liberal theologian. It just doesn't work for me. I'm like, either it's true or it's not true. Don't give me this, oh, it's true in theory. I don't want a theory. I want truth to base my life on. And so we need to come back to truth and understanding that truth is not a, a laissez-faire question. It's foundational for who we are. Um, <clears throat> and then there's the loss of unity in truth. A lot of times today what we find is that people are compartmentalizing truth. You know, oh, well, well, that's true for you, or that's true in that field. You know, in the field of theology, that could be true, that God exists. But in the field of science, no, God doesn't. I'm like, 
are you talking about? That doesn't make any, you know, like sometimes I wonder, you know, the, the Bible says the philosopher of this, God has cre- caused the, the, the wisdom of the philosophy of this age to be foolishness. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right, God. Sometimes I don't get the philosophy of this age. It seems like common sense is thrown out the window. And we're left with these deep thinkers that come to these conclusions that don't make sense. And, and at least guys like Solter and Nietzsche, at least they made sense. But today we're in a society that isn't making sense anymore. Um, so what are we to do about this? I believe that we need to, first of all, find the truth for ourselves. We need to recognize that truth is vital. And that today, in today's society, it's not enough to say, well, the Bible tells me so. We need more information so that we can engage with people on a deeper level. And, and, and to, be, you know, to be connecting with them on where they're at. And answer these questions of philosophy. Answer these questions of morality and where we came from and what is the meaning of life. We need to be equipped with those things. I can't give you all those things in the next 15, 10 minutes of my, me- oh my goodness, next minute of my message. <laughs> I can't give you all that stuff. You have to dig for it. You have to search for it. You have to, you know, this, this is what Jesus said. Um, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Isn't that a great quote? And, and the Israelites were like, what do you mean? We're, we're not slaves to anybody. You know, like, how can you say we'll, we'll become free? We're, not, we're free now. And Jesus, Jesus is very clear. He says, no, no, you're bound by sin. Uh, you're not really free. And the fact is, our, our whole world thinks that they're free. They've rid themselves of God. They've rid themselves of the responsibility. They've rid themselves in the process of purpose and of love and of connection with people. And they didn't, don't even know it half the time. But the truth will free you from that and bring you into in alignment with God. And so for us today, have you ever wondered why such a big chunk of our, our worship service is you know, listening to some guy talking about the Bible? The reason is because we want to teach the truth. We want to shape people's minds. You know, the Bible says that we ought to make our, our, our lives a living sacrifice uh, in, in, in that we ought to uh, renew our minds. That's why we do so much teaching. That's why if you go to a, a connect group, it's not just a social time. It's a time where the Word of God is shared, where people's lives, and, and then we're connecting our lives with the Word of God, with truth. We're putting together truth and our lives, and we're mixing it together. That's what we do in the Christian Missionary Alliance. You know, as when, when I was trained to be a pastor, the Christian Missionary Alliance is, doesn't just go, oh, well, you have some gifts of pastoral leadership? Great, we'll just put you right into, into office. Why don't you become a pastor for us? They don't tend to do that. They tend to go, well, oh, great. Well, why don't you go to school for four years? And after that, go to seminary for another three. What? I'm not really a student, but I've been eight years in Bible college and seminary. And, you know, I've been shocked when that comes into play. And it's often when I'm talking to a philosopher. 
a philosopher of this world. And suddenly, all that schooling starts rolling back and comes forward. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. You know, I, I don't get into philosophy too often here. But, you know, when I get talking with a philosopher of this world, boy, the philosophy comes back. And we start talking the deep things. And it's fascinating. And I appreciate that I've been taught the truth. And so what I'm advocating here, folks, is that you get taught the truth. Now, I know that most of you find the truth on the Internet. It's not, you know, what should I say? <laughs> I, I hear you all laughing, so I think you already know. Uh, not the greatest place to find truth. You can find it there. there there's lots of good stuff there. Um, but you also need to uh, vent it, uh, uh, what do you call it, screen it, figure out what is really true. And because a lot of times someone, the first to speak sounds right, the proverb says, but after that someone else speaks and corrects him. And so we need to know, we need to dig for the truth. So, so dig for the truth by reading your Bible. Dig for the truth by listening to uh, God-fearing teachers, teachers who teach the Word of God effectively and as truth. Um, one of the Francis Schaeffer was one of my favorite Christian philosophers. And he listed eight things that ought to impact your worldview. And I, I can't remember what all eight of them are, but let me try. History should influence your worldview. Science should influence your worldview. Um, ethics and morality should influence your worldview. Um, uh, what else is there? See, I don't know where it is in my notes, so... Anyways, um, all of these, or history, did I mention history? Yeah, it should, it should your, your worldview has to take in an account of everything. And that's what Christianity does. It has an answer for science. It has an answer for all the different areas of life, for sociology and psychology. And it explains all of those things. And uh, lots of other Worldviews attempt those things, but I believe, and in my studies, I've seen that Christianity answers those questions the best. It has the most truthful uh, outlook on life. Um, you know, it's why, you know, I've never heard a series of, of sermons on uh, creationalism, and yet I felt that that was really important to teach a, a few years back. And I've never heard a sermon series on why the Bible is true ever in my life. But I felt like that's really important. That's where people need to know that. So last year, I preached on that subject. Why is the Bible true? We need the truth. And so we're, right now, where's Jay? Uh, there, there he is in the back. He's leading a course called The Truth Project. It's a very important course because it helps you understand how Christianity connects with everything else and why it's true. And it lays the foundation in saying that this is why Christianity is true in spite of or because of, I would have to say, what science says. And so let's not think somehow that Christianity is at loggerheads with the sciences or with history or with any of these things. Christianity embraces all of those things fully and wants them 
to be used to find the truth. So what about you? Are you seeking the truth? Or are you just kind of following the rest of the world? Thinking that somehow, you know, all these big questions, they're, they, they're not really part of my life. My life is about, you know, getting to work on time, getting my job done, looking after the kids, uh, you know, making sure that they get to their classes and whatever. I mean, my life is busy. And, you know, these big, you know, leave them to the philosophers. Forget that. You know, I, I'm just going to carry on with my life. Or are you the opposite? You're just so focused on the philosophy. You've got to dig into this philosophy. I've got to figure out what it all means. I've got to figure out the real meaning of life. You completely forget to connect it with your life. The two go together. If philosophy, if your Christianity doesn't jive with reality, what good is it? It's useless. And so find the truth and how it connects with your life. This is basically the motto of my, my teaching when I preach or teach. My desire is to take the truth and connect it with our lives so that we know how to integrate the truth with our lives. And I just challenge you to do the same thing, but to do it knowingly, with purpose and, <laughs> and wanting to. I want to integrate my knowledge with my life. Okay? That's my challenge for this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we just thank you for your word and the power that it has. And we pray, Lord, that it would impact our lives with truth. Lord, you said that there's a certain washing by the water of the word going on. And so, Lord, we ask that all of your truth would wash over us that it would make us honest people, that it would make us God-fearing people. We pray, Lord, that those who have doubts would find answers to their questions. And, Lord, put their faith solely in You. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would move over this crowd and create in them a divine trust and faith in Your Word and in the truths of Christianity. Lord, I pray that You wouldn't allow us to slip into... Uh, a nihilism or uh, existential philosophy, Lord, as an outlook to life. But Lord, may we recognize that you alone give us purpose and, and reason to be. And so, Lord, we pray that we would fulfill your purposes, that we would be a kingdom of saints for your kingdom's sake. But we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.